0: Jonah chapter 2, the prayer of Jonah. Verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish, and he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me. All your breakers and billows passed over me. So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Amen. This chapter And even chapter 3 encompasses two of the major obediences or actions of faithfulness by Jonah. When we studied the book of Jonah, people take it entirely as Jonah as a disobedient prophet. However, in chapters 2 and 3, he's obedient. He's very obedient in chapters 2 and 3. He is disobedient in 1 and in 4 and then obeys in 2. And 3. Here we have his prayer. This one prayer from verses 2 to 9 actually is three prayers. We have the full prayer in verses 2 to 9, but then we also have a brief one in verse 4. When he was in the water, he said, "'I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple.'" you might see quotation marks. That is one brief prayer he prayed in verse 4. And further, when he was fainting, in verse 7, he says, While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So it may be three prayers, or at least two prayers here. One prayer while he's in the fish, and the other when he's in the water, or the other two while he's in the water. But we see it as one prayer because it's one composite prayer. So then, verse 1. Where did he pray this prayer? It says, from the stomach of the fish. Yes, he prayed in verses 4 and 7 in the water. But this prayer, the full prayer, is from the stomach of the fish. Which means he was awake. He was alive. But the question is whether he died for three days and was brought back to life in the fish or whether he was alive the whole time and near death when he was in the water. But certainly when he's in the fish, he is alive because it says it's a prayer to the Lord his God from the stomach of the fish. Further in verse one, we notice that he's praying to the Lord his God. The Lord his God. In verse 6, he calls the Lord, O Lord, my God. The Lord his God, the Lord my God. So Jonah does belong to God or God has saved Jonah. And Jonah is indeed a true prophet of God. We also see that what Jonah should have done in chapter 1, he did here in chapter 2. But what drove Jonah to do this in chapter 2? Hardship, death or near death drove Jonah to pray this prayer, which is often what happens to us. We don't pray unless we are in hardship. Verse 2, he begins by saying, "I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol; you heard my voice." If he is in the fish, according to verse 1, then why is it that he says in verse 2, I called out of my distress the Lord and he answered me. God answered him, but he's still in the fish. How does he know what's going to happen to him if he's alive and in the fish? How does he know that? Because he's not vomited onto dry land until verse 10, after this prayer. Why then would he say, God has answered him? How does he know that the answer has been delivered by God to him? Verse 2 also says, I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice. He's saying here, he cried from the depth of Sheol, or from the stomach or belly of Sheol. He mentions this as well. In verse 6, verse 6, I descended to the roots of the mountains, the earth with its bars was around me forever, but you have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord, my God. He says he prayed when he was there. He prayed when he was in Shaol, or when he was in the pit, then God delivered him from the pit, Sheol. Verse 3 For you had cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the current engulfed me, all your breakers and billows passed over me. Who threw him into the deep, into the seas? In chapter 1, it says that the sailors did that. Verse 15 So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. One fifteen, the sailors did it. But in verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3, God did it. So who did it? God or the sailors? The answer is both. But God's will controls man's will. God's will controls man's will. Even in verse 3, it says, All your breakers and billows. The breakers and billows of the sea belong to God. And it was God who engulfed him with water. Verse 4, So I said, I have been expelled from your sight. Nevertheless, I will look again toward your holy temple. When he's in the water, in the seas, he realizes that he is being punished by God. He acknowledges that and he says, I have been expelled from your sight. When under a curse, we are not experiencing the favor of God, the face of God. We are expelled from His face when we are being punished for our own disobedience. He acknowledged that in the water. However, even though He's being punished and He knows it, separated from the presence of God, the favor of God's presence, He says, Nevertheless, I will look again towards your holy temple. Though God is punishing him, God is the one who can deliver mercy to him. Deliverance. Salvation. It's God who punishes and God who saves. He knows that. When he says, look again, he had been in the habit of praying. Now he is again in this habit of prayer. Prayer to God. And where is God? It says your holy temple. Verse 7 also says your holy temple. According to Psalm 11, Psalm 11 and verse 4, this temple is in heaven. He's not talking about the temple of Jerusalem, though it was standing in his day. He's talking about the heavenly temple. Psalm 11:4 the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyelids behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. His holy temple is in heaven, and his throne is there too. Jonah prayed to God in heaven. Also, another reference is Isaiah 6.1. When Isaiah saw a vision of the Lord in his temple, in his temple, which means in his temple in heaven, Isaiah 6 1. Verse 5: Water encompassed me to the point of death, the great deep engulfed me, weeds were wrapped around my head. In verse 5, he is in a hopeless situation. He is either near death well at verse 5 he is near death but he's describing how hopeless it was waters all around him the great deep engulfed him and weeds were wrapped around his head which makes it hard to swim and survive in the great deep but it's more complicated verse 7 or verse 6 it's it's more severe than that verse 6 says I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. If he descends to the roots of the mountains, to the bases of the mountains, that means he has to go very, very deep underwater. And if he has to go that deep underwater, the weeds are wrapped around his head. There's no way of survival. If he goes that deep underwater, 100 or more feet deep, he's going to die. He's going to die from the pressure. He's going to die for lack of oxygen. He's going to die. And that would make sense according to verse 6. But you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. You brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God. And he said in verse 2, he cried for help from the depth of Sheol. So, it seems he's saying that he died. He died and his case was hopeless. God killed him by means of the mariners. God killed him for uh, punishment for his sins sin of disobedience. He did not want to do the will of God by means of the word of God. So God put him to death. And yet, God answered him in verse 2, and in verse 6, God brought him up from the pit. Now, one might say, well, doesn't David talk like this in the Psalms? Yes, certainly he does. And there's a couple of points to make about that. One, in reference to verse 6, yes, David does do that, but David was not at sea. David was not in water. David was on dry land, and he uses this aeronautical marine kind of illustration to describe his own plight on land. David had land afflictions, not sea afflictions. But in Jonah's case, he actually is at sea. So why wouldn't we take Jonah literally, more literally than not, even though he's quoting David in the Psalms? Which brings up a second point. You will notice that there are many words and phrases in this prayer of Jonah taken from the Psalms. The Psalms were written by David in 1000 B.C., Jonah lived about 750 B.C., which means there were about 250 years between David and the Psalms and Jonah, and the book of Jonah. Well, it shows that Jonah was very familiar with the Psalms. He knew them. He memorized them. They were a part of his vocabulary. They were a part of his thinking. And when he's praying here, he is praying according to the Psalms. Or in today's language, we say to pray the Scriptures. To pray the Scriptures. Pray in accordance with the Scriptures. Pray with the Scriptural terms, with the Scriptural concepts, the Scriptural theology. Pray them back to God. Have the mind so full of Scripture that that's what you repeat back to God. And if you're, if you're doing it that way, then you're praying according to his will because his will is revealed in his word. Jonah was a master of that. And so were actually all the prophets because all the prophets, that is the prophets from Isaiah to Malachi, if you study their books very carefully, they are quoting the law of Moses and the Psalms profusely. They are quoting the Law of Moses and the Psalms profusely, giving to us the correct interpretation of the Law of Moses. They are the repeaters and interpreters and emphasizers of Moses. That's what the prophets are. The The prophets are not inventors, and even the apostles are not inventors. The only sense in which they might be inventing is they express it in different words, but the basic concepts and even most of the vocabulary is all there in Moses, in the Old Testament, and then repeated in the New Testament. In fact, one more point to make, most if not all heresies stem from a misunderstanding of the relationship between the Old and New Testaments. Most if not all heresies stem from a misunderstanding of the relationship between the Old and the New Testaments. Even the deity of Christ. Well, no one understood the deity of Christ, and it took a long time for people to understand that because it wasn't even believed until Jesus started to say some things. No, that's not true. It's throughout the Old Testament. You go on and on, any doctrine, if it's misunderstood from the Old Testament, it will be misunderstood in the New Testament. The doctrine of God and all the doctrines, doctrine of salvation, it all starts in the Old. Verse 7, while I was fainting away, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. While he's fainting away, fainting in, away in what sense? In death, yes. Fainting away in death, he's remembered the Lord, which means he's praying. To remember the Lord means to invoke his name, to pray to him, to call upon his name. He then calls it a prayer. My prayer came to you into your holy temple. When he says it came to God's holy temple, He's not saying it took some time or that God was busy or that it's a spatial issue from earth to heaven. He doesn't mean it that way. What he means is God was mindful of it. God heard it and God acted on it. He acted on it while Jonah was fainting away. Which is also... uh, Uh, concept that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, experienced. It was also something that he experienced in Daniel 9. In Daniel chapter 9, 1 to 19, he prays. He prays to the Lord. And then in verse 20, it says, Now, while I was speaking and praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. While he's praying and while he's speaking, God is answers the prayer. That's similar to what's happening to Jonah. While he's fainting away, the prayer reaches God and God is ready to act. Verse 8, Jonah 2.8, Those who regard vain idols forsake their faithfulness. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. In verse 8, he's talking about idolaters. Idolaters have a true source of knowledge. Idolaters have the true way of salvation. Idolaters have a knowledge of right and wrong. They know that when they worship idols, it's wrong. It's sinful. But when they worship Vain idols, when they regard vain idols, when they esteem vain idols, they forsake their faithfulness, which means they forsake God in their pursuit of sin. Jeremiah 2.11. Jeremiah 2.11. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. The people of God changed their glory, or Jonah says their faithfulness, for that which does not profit. Worshipping idols. The Apostle Paul spoke likewise. After describing in Romans 1 18 to 20 that all men know of the existence of God, he then says in 1 to 23 For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Idolaters, when they worship idols, they forsake the true and living God. But believers who worship the true God don't do that, verse 9. But... I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. We sacrifice to God with a voice of thanksgiving. Yes, they offered animals, but our desire is to remember the goodness of God and be thankful, to be a thankful people. Hosea 14.2 Hosea 14:2 Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, "Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously that we may present the fruit of our lips." That we may present the fruit of our lips. Further, Hebrews 13:15. Hebrews 13:15 Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. Praise and thank God. That's the sacrifice God wants. And Jonah now says he's offering that. That's characteristic of the Christian. Thankfulness. Sacrifice of thanksgiving. Further, verse 9, that which I have vowed, I will pay. When did Jonah vow? What vow is he meaning here? Is he meaning a vow when he was in the water? Is he meaning a vow while he was in Sheol? Or is he meaning the vow that started his Christian life? probably, Most likely, the vow that started his Christian life. He's saying, I know early on that I vowed to you. Now it's time for me to fulfill it. I must persevere. I must endure to the end. That's what I'm doing here. I am vowing to continue and to press on. In Hebrews... Book of Hebrews, he also does speak in these terms. Not so much in terms of vow, but persevering and keeping diligence until the end. Hebrews 6, 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. That you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit, uh, inherit, the promises. Faith and patience inherit the promises. Also, he says in chapter ten, Hebrews chapter ten, ten twenty three. Hebrews ten twenty three. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The confession of our hope without wavering, he who promised is faithful. And Hebrews 10:36, 36, 36 to 39. Hebrews 10:36. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. This is the vow Jonah repeats and reminds himself of what he vowed to God. We would do well, actually, to quit saying, I made a commitment, or I decided, or anything like that, in reference to our conversion. It's better to speak in terms of confession and vow like that. Further, verse 9 says, Salvation is from the Lord. Salvation is from the Lord. Being from the Lord means that God is the one that saves from beginning to end and forever. Isaiah 45, 17. 45, 17 of Isaiah. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. Saved by the Lord, Israel. And who is this Israel in 17? Not every individual descended from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but the elect called Israel, saved by the Lord. With an everlasting salvation you will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity, which sounds like Hebrews ten thirty six to thirty nine and first John two twenty eight. We are not of those who shrink back to destruction. Further salvation is from the Lord is like Philippians one six. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. He will perfect it. Then verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Another miracle. In chapter 117, 117, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. In 210, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. These are clear declarations of God's sovereignty in this matter that God, the God of miracles who created the universe out of nothing and fashioned all of us, He is the same God who has control of the creation, able to appoint the fish, able to direct the fish, able to command the fish. We see in chapter 1, Jonah did not obey the commandment of God. The sailors did obey the commandment of God. The sea obeyed the commandment of God. The fish obeyed the commandment of God. And now Jonah is obeying God in his prayer. And so God commands the fish. And the fish obeys God. Vomits Jonah up onto the dry land. Then we pick it up in chapter 3, where he travels to Nineveh. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.